I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line Finding that will to survive can be the most important discovery we ever make. And these people, we're about to find out why. Digging deeper than they ever imagined, overcoming hardship and pain. You ready? No! What's wrong? And that's what it takes to get out alive. NBC's Get Out Alive premieres Monday, July 8th. No, we're not promoting necessarily NBC, but sometimes life feels like you're just trying to get out alive, right? Sometimes maybe you feel like these, these contestants on these Fear Factor or, or Get Out Alive or Amazing Race, but you're just like, that's life. That's Monday. <laughs> that's, that's Monday. And, and I don't know. I don't know where necessarily these reality shows come from, you know, because... I don't know if it's like some armchair quarterbacks that watch these guys on the National Geographic channel or something and go, I think I could do that. Yeah, I think I could do that. I think I could put my head in an alligator's mouth and uh, survive. Yeah, I think I could do that. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know really where, where they come from or where they get the ideas or where they really get the contestants uh, for, for these things. But sometimes life feels like you're just trying to get out alive. And sometimes when it comes to church and when it comes to Christianity, sometimes we kind of give off this false idea that if you just pray this prayer, if you just show up to church once a week, life is going to be all great. It's going to be all dandy. It's all going to be this bed of roses. And then you lay down on the bed of roses and you realize that roses have thorns. And life isn't quite as easy. And I think that's a a lot of times when people kind of give up on the Christian life, they're like, well, I I look around me and all this is supposed to be easy and all these people make it look like it's supposed to be easy. And then I have difficulty and I have struggle. And so I guess it just doesn't work for me. And then we hear that I've tried Jesus sentence, right? And maybe some of you have all uh, have been there at some point in time in life. Obviously, you're on some journey back because, well, I mean, you're here. But maybe you've kind of been in that spot before where you're just like, you know, I've tried Jesus and it looks like everybody else is fine, but I just struggle. And can, can I just say that's not A, reality, and B, that's not the Bible, the only thing wrong with that is that is the Bible. If that the Bible is written out of times of extreme difficulty. I mean, good grief. Paul's in prison when he writes Ephesians. And we talked about how, the type of prison he was in. He was probably in a prison where it was just a hole dug straight down into the ground. And there's a guy and a great and a guy and a great and a guy and a great. You didn't get out. You didn't get out to go to the bathroom. So you just went. Just go, man, just go. And there, the guy on the bottom just gets it all. I mean, the Bible wasn't written in easy circumstances. The Bible was written in difficulty. And Paul is teaching the Ephesians all these things while he's in prison. In a prison like this. 
And maybe instead of titling this series, Walk the Line, maybe we should have titled it, Get Out Alive. Just trying to get out alive. And when it comes to the Christian life, it actually is harder. It's harder to walk by faith than it is just to walk our own way. And so how do we do that? And maybe as we've kind of been through this series, or these two series, you know, on identity and walk the line, maybe you get, get to the point where you're like, I don't know how on earth I can even do this. Do you know you're in good company? The disciples said that same exact thing to Jesus. After, after Jesus did a teaching on marriage, Peter, maybe the only married disciple at the time, Peter went up to Jesus and was like, hey, um, that teaching you just gave on marriage, um, how exactly are we supposed to do that? The, 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 the Greek behind that statement is, holy crap, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> Not re- I mean, that's my own version, but the disciples experienced that. Peter experienced that as well of going, my lands, if that's the teaching, if that's the teaching, if that's, just, and we're just talking about one subject of marriage, if that's the teaching, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to live that way? How are we supposed to get out alive? So as Paul wraps up his book on, to the Ephesians, he wraps it up ta- telling the Ephesians how to get out of life. How to get out of this life alive. Most of you, if you've been around church at all, this, this is going to be very familiar uh, territory for us. You've, you've heard this sermon before, or at least something like this. But you're probably used to by, by now, even though you might expect what sermon's coming don't know what sermon's coming, right, Cheryl? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word. A final word. And, and actually, Paul is actually right, wrapping up. You know, it's not like the typical preacher, you know, one last point, which you, you know that, that means you've got about 20 minutes left. You know, a, a final word. You notice I don't say that, right? You notice I don't say that so that I don't get your expectations up or anything. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put all on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. How do we get out of life? We be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. The first title for this section that I had was Don't Be a Pansy. And really, I didn't want to offend all the pansies, so I didn't go with that <laughs> title. They can be offended easily. But um, anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> we won't podcast that one. Because they usually troll on the internet. Anyway. <clears throat> parents basement and stuff don't be uh, be strong be strong in the lord be strong in the lord how do we get out alive we be strong in the lord 
as we go through this life, as we struggle in this life, and we, we are just grinding through this life, and we have those moments, we have those times, we have those seasons where we're like, will this let up? I would rather be on Get Out Alive than be in my life right now. Be strong in the Lord. And let me remind you who the Lord is. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one that was able to put himself inside of Mary as a zygote. He was the one who lived a perfect life. He was the one who died. He was the one who resurrected. He was the one who ascended. Be strong in this Lord. He's the one who reigns. He's the one who sustains everything. He's the one that keeps the planets in motion. He's the one that keeps your atoms in motion. Not Adam, atom. He's the one that keeps your atoms in motion. Be strong in this Lord and in His mighty power. What Paul is telling us is that it is possible to be strong in the Lord. It is possible to have His mighty power in our daily lives. When we feel like we're just getting out alive, Paul's like, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His mighty power. And like he said in Ephesians 1, the same power is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead and ascended Him into the heavens. And then Ephesians 2 is the same power that resurrects us from the dead and ascends us up into heaven with Jesus. Be strong in the Lord. And put on God's armor. We'll talk about that in a second. No, I didn't bring in cheesy armor to put on for a visual uh, illustration. Although you probably were expecting it. But we have to identify the proper enemy in order to be strong in the Lord. Our enemies aren't other churches. Our enemies aren't non-Christians or non-fans. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the devil. And who is he? He's the father of all lies. He's the tempter. He's the destroyer. See, a lot of times, I think I've maybe said this or used this illustration before, maybe we get a flat tire on the way to work, we get a nail on our tire, and while we're on the side of the road, we might say, oh, the devil's trying to get at me. No, you just have a nail in the tire. Satan tries to tempt us. Satan lies to us. Satan tries to destroy our our life. A nail in our tire doesn't destroy our life. Anytime Satan shows up, he shows up in temptation, not in annoyances. And so proper identification of our enemy is important in a battle. Satan's trying to destroy us. Satan's trying to destroy lives all around us. That's why our enemy isn't even isn't non-Christians or non-fans because Satan is trying to destroy them and right now he's winning in their life. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against forces that we can't even see. It's against the devil and his 
armies of angels that we can't see. Now Ephesus was an incredibly spiritual city. And so Paul was able to talk about this kind of unseen world with the Ephesians. Because they were used to this. This was something that they, were, that, uh, that they got. But he didn't talk this way to, uh, uh, to the Athenians or the Corinthians. A more Grecian, a more Western mindset, more logical mindset. Because they wouldn't be able to handle that. And even in our culture, very Western, very logical, although we are starting to, uh, part of the postmodern mindset is that they're more spiritual. And so we are kind of headed back, swinging back into a more of an Eastern mindset, even in our culture, um, which is fine because actually there's a lot of things that are beneficial to that mindset. One being they're more spiritual. A modern mindset is all logical. I've got to see it to believe it. That whole thing. I don't see God, so I don't believe it. But the postmodern mindset is a whole lot more spiritual and a whole lot more story-based. We've got the best story on the face of the earth, right? So in a lot of ways, a postmodern mindset doesn't equal evil. It just equals a mindset. And so in a lot of ways, we are drifting back as a culture to be able to talk about some of the things that we cannot see. And they get that. Our culture gets that. And so we have to have a proper identification of our enemy in order to battle correctly. And our enemy is Satan, the tempter, the liar, the father of lies, and the destroyer. He's wanting to destroy our life, and he's wanting to destroy the lives of those around us. And he's winning the battle in the lives of non-fans around us. Are we battling Satan in our own life? Or are we battling Satan in the lives of others around us who don't even know that there's a battle for their soul? And that's tough. It's a struggle, daily struggle of knowing when to say and what to say and how to say it, and when to be bold, when to be the friend. It's a, it's a struggle. Because you can't really go up to somebody and go, hey, you know what? Satan's winning the battle over you. It might weird them out a little bit. So we've got to take a little bit different tactic. But really, the whole idea of being strong in the Lord, that's nice and that gets us kind of excited and I hope our hearts are like, yeah, that's great. But at the same time, when you kind of think about it, you're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means we have to put on some under armor. We must protect this house. We must protect it. We must be ready for battle. I started a, a, <clears throat> a new job at Lake Country, and, and, and actually Jack and I were talking about this last week. He started a new job at Republic uh, School, and he's coaching and helping coach uh, there, and some football, uh, some football um, one of the football teams, eighth grade, middle school uh, football teams, and, and we were talking about how we came into these new situations and the people around were so familiar with these new situations that it's hard for them to prepare new people for what they're going to experience. See, the great thing about God is He's the best leader. And leaders, when somebody new comes in, they, they, they tell them what to expect and what to experience and protect them and prepare them for what's going to happen. 
And so God, through Paul, tells us exactly how to prepare for battle. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth. Putting on the belt of truth. Really, the concept is gird your loins. It's a real manly thought. Gird your loins. All right. See, they wore robes, they wore togas and stuff, you know, and so in order to go into battle, in order to run into battle, anybody try to run with a robe, maybe like you had a fire in your house, the only thing you could grab was your robe, and you try to run out of your house, and it, I never really tried to run in a robe, but I imagine that it's kind of difficult because it's wrapped around your legs, and you need your legs to run, and, and just be embarrassing to run out of your house in your robe, and your house is on fire, but you like face plant, and that'd just be, that'd just be bad. So in order for them to go into battle, they had to, they had to hike up their toga. Sounds like a, like a scene at an animal house or something. But hike up their toga and wrap a belt around their race to gird their loins so they'd be ready to run out into battle. And they wouldn't trip over their togas. Toga, toga, toga. They wouldn't trip over their togas. And Paul uses the analogy that truth is like that. See, one of the names of Satan is the father of lies, right? And so what combats the father of lies? Truth. And truth prepares us for the battle against Satan, to go into battle against him. The truth prepares us for that, so that we're not embarrassed because we're being sucked into lies. And today, really contextually, the whole belt thing works. Have you ever tried to run with pants that are too big without a belt? That gets embarrassing real quick, Right? pants around your ankles and you trip and fall and you're just exposed and you're on the ground and your face in the mud and people are laughing at you not that i've you know anyway scars um no just joking just joking but truth keeps her pants up so that we're not embarrassed that's tweetable by the way put that on facebook truth put keeps our pants up When people ask, you can share the gospel with them. Do we gird ourselves with truth? Are we exposing ourselves to the truth? Now, a lot of times we use truth as a, as a weapon. Truth isn't a weapon. Truth is protection. Are we exposing ourselves to truth? Are we ingesting truth? And the body armor of God's righteousness. Or, as most of you have known it, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness covers our heart. Righteousness combats unrighteousness, right? Right behavior combats wrong behavior. And we all know that wrong behavior affects our heart. We all know that when we walk away from God's will, when we walk away from what He wants, it affects our heart and it, 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 it crushes our heart. Shot to the heart, you're too blamed. You give love a bad name. Anyway, right? We're shot to the heart when we walk in unrighteousness. Too many of you know that song. Anyway, when we walk in unrighteousness... 
it affects our heart. But when we walk in righteousness, it's a breastplate. It, it, it protects our heart. We cannot be affected by unrighteousness if we walk in righteousness, right? I mean, it's just a logical argument. We can't be affected by sin if we walk in righteousness. And if we walk in righteousness, our heart stays intact and solid. And we're not an emotional wreck because we've destroyed our life. And we have been there. We've all been there. And we probably know people that are there right now. But you're just like, if you just walk, all your problems right now are directly dealing with walking in unrighteousness. All your emotional hurts and all your emotional aches are directly dealing with if you would just wake up and walk the right way. We've been there. We know other people that are there right now. So remember, our enemy isn't the person. Our enemy is the one that's destroying the person. And so we treat them with love and kindness and gentleness so that they can come out and walk in righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. And in that day, uh, in battle, you know, they didn't have landmines that exploded because, you know, gunpowder hadn't been invented yet. And so what they did for landmines was that they would put out shards of glass and shards of metal and shrapnel out as landmines so that it, when, when the enemy would run into the battle and if they were barefoot, they would just be running all over the glass. And that would hurt. <laughs> and they would be affected by that. And so then the other army could come in and then destroy them. So what Paul is saying put, is, is put these shoes on so that you're ready to run through the landmines that we find in life. And, and, and what are the shoes? The shoes of the good news. The shoes of the gospel. And, and, and what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died to forgive our sins and bring, make us alive through his resurrection and give us his righteousness. See, the whole thing about the righteousness is that it's not a righteousness that we create. It's a righteousness that Christ gives us. And so the gospel is that Christ died to forgive our sins and rose to give us, uh, to give us righteousness, to give us life. The gospel isn't that we are bad people. The gospel is that we are dead people needing to be alive. See, bad people we can manage. Dead people we can't manage. Ever watch speaking at Bernie's? It's a little hard to manage a dead person. Dead person needs to be made alive. So the gospel is that we are made alive in Christ. And that helps us to walk across the landmines that come our way, the landmines of legalism, the landmines of self-righteousness, that we can do this on our own, that we can do this without God's help, that we can, we, can, we, can, we can do this life just fine, thank you. But see, a lot of times we kind of use church as that way of managing life just fine, thank you. But as long as I show up once a week, then I'm good. No. As long as 
we have found new life in Christ. And the gospel says that we can't find that life on our own. And so the gospel is the one that helps us have peace in these landmines that we'll find in life. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Faith. What's faith? Seeing things that God, the way God sees them and then acting on it. Seeing things the way God sees them and then acting on it. Faith is really vision. Faith is, 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 is acquiring and seeing the vision, the same vision that God has for your life. That's what faith is. And so what faith, what faith is, 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 that, is that it is a shield. That when we have these fiery arrows come our way from the liar... The father of all lies, the one that wants to destroy our life, the one that wants to tempt us, where we have these fiery arrows to come our way, faith is the shield that protects us against these fiery arrows so that we don't flame out. So we don't burn out. So faith says, I'm going to stick with it. Faith says, I'm going to keep walking. Faith says God's got a better vision for my life than I have for myself and definitely than what the devil has for me. Faith says I'm going to keep walking the line of my identity. Faith says I'm going to walk as a saint because that is the vision that God has for me. And when we walk that line, it doesn't mean that the fiery arrows won't stop. Actually, it means the fire arrows will actually probably increase. But faith is what we use to hold up, to knock those fiery arrows down so that we don't flame out. A burnout Christian should really never happen. Now, we go through tough times in life, and we need help, and we need times of rest and, 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 and all that. But a burnout Christian should never happen. Because Christ's yoke is easy. Now, I don't say that to say that we don't have times in life that are, not, that are difficult. But at the end of the day, we have faith to say, you know what? God's taken me through this. And He has a better vision for me than I have for myself. I wouldn't take myself through this. But he is. So I want to keep walking. And sometimes the jungle that Christ has taken us through gets dark. And the path that he's cutting gets narrow. And sometimes he disappears incredibly quickly into the hole that he cut. But we keep walking. Knowing that one day he'll get out into the clear. So that we can see the views that he sees. That he's taking us to. That's what faith does. It keeps hope alive. That he has a certainty of a better future for us. Not because we've done it. Not because we've dreamed a big dream for God. Not because of anything that happens because of us, but because we have faith in what He says in the vision that He has for our lives.
put on salvation as your helmet. Salvation. Rescue. Again, not rescue from being a bad person. Rescue from death. Rescue from sin. Rescue from hell. Put on salvation as a helmet. When our mind wanders, is God there? When our mind wanders, is this really real? When our mind wanders, am I really saved? Where salvation is a helmet. That He has rescued us from death. That He has rescued us from sin. That He has rescued us from hell. Salvation. Salvation. Wear it as a helmet. Protecting our mind. Protecting us from those times that where our mind wanders. About our salvation. It will. Our mind will wander. But we wear salvation and we say, yes, He has rescued me. See, legalists and self-righteous people don't need salvation. They've saved themselves. They've saved themselves from being bad. But being good doesn't get us to heaven. Being perfect, being righteous gets us to heaven. So we need a rescue. We need a rescue from death. That's what salvation is. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is a double-edged sword cutting straight into the heart. See, when we look at all this list... Even this list, you're like, wow, yeah, that. Not good. I don't do this very good. Still got a long way to go. Still got some chinks in my armor. Some areas I feel kind of naked in. See, this is where the Word of God comes into play. See, the Word of God is surgery. The Word of God performs surgery on the parts of our lives that need to be removed. It performs surgery on the parts of our lives that that cause us to not put on the armor. And it's really self-surgery. A lot of times we use the Word of God in order to uh, cut into other people inappropriately. But until we do self-surgery with the Word of God, we really can't use the Word of God to help somebody out to find life. Because the Word of life is the Word of God, not the Word of death. And so so we have to perform self-surgery with God's Word. So we have to engage with God's Word. We have to read God's Word, but not only just read it, but we have to see where our life doesn't match, and we're just asking God, God, Help me match this. After I read God's word, that's my first line of prayer. Whatever God has said in his word, the first thing that I pray for is exactly what he's taught me through his word. See, it's self-surgery. Now, we wouldn't do that in real life, right? I mean, how many of you have given yourself surgery before? Anybody? 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 
Good. I'm glad. It's probably why you're still here. But with the Word of God, we do self-surgery to a point. We have to take ourselves there and let the Word of God, let God, through His Word, cut out the parts that don't belong. Cut out the chinks in our armor to be able to strengthen the armor. So how do we keep going? See, any journey, we're probably going to get tired on, right? When we lived in New York, I I won um, um, tickets or whatever to a conference that that was down in Lynchburg. It was about an eight-hour drive down from Baldwinsville to to Lynchburg. And and the conference, I think, started on a Tuesday, but we, we had small group on Monday night. And so... Myself and, and, and one of my uh, buddies up there drove after, uh, starting after small group all night long down to Lynchburg and we got there right as the conference was starting. Um, so we both, we both drank five hour energies to, to, to try and uh, keep awake. And, um, I don't, I'm not quite sure if uh, five-hour energy is designed to replace sleep or not. Um, and in fact, I don't remember much from that drive, actually, which is kind of uh, nerve-wracking. But anyway, I'm still here. But probably some of you have had those drives before. <laughs> I know I got there because I'm here. But I don't exactly remember how I got here. Or you've gone through those lights where you just, as you have gone through them and you look in your mirror, you're like, I hope that was green. Because I'm not quite sure. In order to make it through this life, we've got to be alert. In order to get out alive, we have to be alert. We have to take our five-hour energy. We have to be alert to what God is doing. And how do we do that? Pray in the Spirit. How often? Once a day? At all times. And on every occasion. Stay alert. Take your five-hour energy. And be persistent. Don't give up. If you get tired, if you get drowsy, if you get sleepy, don't give up. You know, this is Paul writing, but you know Paul talked with Peter. Peter probably told him the story of Gethsemane. Man, I've, I fell asleep. I fell asleep. Peter didn't give up. He wanted to. There's a time he wanted to. That's why he went back to fishing after Christ's death. But through the encounter with Christ, Peter kept going. In your prayers for all believers everywhere. All believers everywhere. Probably most of us have a hard time praying for all believers in this church. Let alone all believers everywhere. And we might might be able to say, well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. I mean, in your mind, you're just talking about, you know, the known world to you, which was the Middle East, and a little bit of Europe. And that was easy for you, Paul. Now we got 7 billion people. All believers everywhere. 
What does your prayer list look like? What does your prayer list look like? You're praying for other believers in this church. That's why disciple-making relationships are so vital because then you get to know people and know what they're praying for, know their struggles, and they know your struggles, and they can pray for you. Are you praying for our church and the direction of our church and that God shows us the direction that He wants to take us in? You're praying for, for, for hard places for us to adopt and, and, and dive into, to, to, to take his kingdom into. Praying for these apartments and these, this residential, the duplex and stuff right back over here that, that he can show us how to engage them because really they're, they're a quote-unquote hard place. There's not really a, a gospel influence really in that part of Republic. Are we praying for when God's going to reveal to us domestically where to go? What a hard place? What place that's like 4% or less evangelical in America to go? Some of us that are doing research on that and have done research on that and praying through that and looking into that because one day very soon He's going to release us to go. Are we praying for the hard place, the unreached people group somewhere in this world that He's going to lead us to adopt? Some place that's probably either communist, Muslim, or Buddhist in nature? Are we praying for that? Are we praying for believers in those areas? Are we praying for believers that they are the 1%? They are the 1% of Christians in their Muslim country? In their atheist country? In their Buddhist country? This isn't easy. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Like I said, it's hard enough to pray for every believer in this church, let alone everywhere. But what does our prayer list look like? Are we praying for believers? Are we praying for the advancement of God's kingdom? And are we praying the same thing that Paul prays? Pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Anybody here feel as bold as Paul? Anybody want to want to match bedpans with Paul as far as boldness is concerned? I don't. To me, Paul is probably the boldest Christian that ever lived. Boldest Christian that ever lived. And Paul's like, "Hey guys, 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 can you pray for me for boldness?" What? If anybody could get by of not praying for boldness, it'd be Paul. But he asked for prayer, for boldness. So I think that probably should be on our list as well. And my list. (coughs) But why did he want prayer for boldness? So that the kingdom would be advanced. Because he was an ambassador for the kingdom even though he was in chains. He didn't care if he was in chains or if he was free. If he was in poverty or he was rich. If he was clothed or if he was naked. He was an ambassador for Christ first. And it was his role to advance the kingdom of God. 
to places that didn't have it. In order to do that, he needed prayer for boldness and the right words to say at the right time. What does God want to do in our life? He wants us to stand firm. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to resist the enemy. And then he says, then after the battle, you will be, you will still be standing firm. What he wants is for us to be the soldiers. That after the battle is done and the smoke is still rising, that we are the soldiers that emerge from battle, still going. Battle worn, battle weary. But we are the soldiers still going because we've used his strength and not our own. To walk in faith, to walk the line of our identity means we keep going in the strength of God. And the good news is that's the same God that has the strength to create the universe. That's available to every one of us. So we head into a time of reflection. Where are you weak right now? Do you know that God's not surprised by that? See, we don't have to pretend here. We don't have to pretend because we all know we're weak. You know I'm weak. I know you're weak. So it's not a secret. We don't have to pretend. Because we know that God is the one that strengthens us. So where are you weak? Lay that before God. Say, God, I'm weak here. What do you want me to do about that? What do you want me to do so I'm standing strong in the battle? How do you want me to proceed? What do you want to do? What part of my armor has chinks in it that you need to strengthen? Is it truth? Is it righteousness? Is it the gospel? Is it God's word? What areas is God working on to strengthen? As the band plays and the band sings, lay that before God. Here's where I'm weak. How do you want to strengthen me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you that you've promised to strengthen us. And you know... A lot of times it's a hard concept because it's, it's, it's like, <sighs> you're not here. There's not like a shot of steroids or whatever to, 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 to get the job done. But at the same time, you've given us practical things. The truth and righteousness, the gospel. Lord, show us where we're weak. 
Because you know. It's not a surprise. Give us the humility to lay that weakness down at your feet because you died for that weakness. And that at the end of this day, we're able to say, where I am weak, you are strong. Because it is your grace that gives us strength. And I pray for everybody here that in, in, in our time of weakness, in our time of struggle, where we're just trying to get out alive, that this morning they'll find rest at your feet, that they'll find strength at your feet, the power to persevere at your feet, the faith at your feet, to keep going. And that they can see the vision that you have for their life. Unfold that for every one of us so that we can keep going. Thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. Sing and pray. If you need to grab Shelly at the back or Randy at the back or myself or Michael to pray with you, then do. Otherwise, just do businesses with God as he leads you.